0: This hour upon the reading of the word. We thank you for this passage in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verses 54 to 60. Lord, it's an ugly passage in the history, but it's also a passage that has so much to say about who we are, who you call us to be, and more importantly, who you are. So, Lord, help us now as we look at the stoning of Stephen. Allow us in our Minds to hear this story, but in our hearts to hear from you. Speak to us this day through the power of Scripture and the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are unfamiliar with the Bible, I'm going to share just a thought. If you're familiar with the Bible, you may know this story. Please bear with us who may have forgotten it or just need a refresher. Early in the book of Genesis there is the story of one of my favorite characters Joseph. Genesis chapters 37 to 50 tell the tale of a son who was loved by his father who had many brothers who were jealous of him who sell him into slavery they're so jealous of him and somehow God So orchestrated his life that when he is much older and much further down the line and his father is near death, his brothers are able to come to him in another country where he was taken to be a slave and find that he is actually the second in charge of the entire land and he is able to meet their need. And they don't understand it because remember how the story goes, they've ratted on him way back. And and the passage that I'm driving to today is a single verse where Joseph says to his brothers who had treated him terribly and could not understand why he was full of grace and forgiveness to them as they came in need. He said to them, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good you all have heard that before right most of you have and I just want to talk today in this stoning of Stephen a little bit about how God is able to take the most difficult circumstances I, I, I never really liked that thing about you know if you get lemons make lemonade but God is able to take the most difficult circumstances and use them for his glory for his purposes and for his honor So let's look at this a verse at a time. When they heard these things, now I've already told you these things were the sermon that Stephen has preached about the history of Israel. When they heard these things, they were outraged or enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. These are angry people, and you have to wonder, if somebody just recounts the history of Israel, what would make them so mad? What you may not have ever seen before or noticed is that what made him so mad is that they considered Stephen at this point to be a blasphemer. They, they considered him to be speaking uh, directly against God. He, he was challenging, think about this for a minute, he was challenging the status quo. What was the status quo? The land, that, that's so big a piece of of Israel's history. If you don't know, the Jewish people were promised a land. When Abraham was told he'd have children, he was also promised land in his covenant with God. So Stephen comes along and he's challenging that. God's not reduced to geographical boundaries. But Stephen is also uh, challenging the status quo in the sense of the temple worship. He's going to basically say, you know, you think you got to go there, but I'm going to tell you God's everywhere. But furthermore, he's going to challenge, and this is the big one, the law. I mean, starting with those those commandments that Moses brings down, uh, that we know as the Ten Commandments, and all the law that followed, Stephen is telling them, you know, you don't have to follow that. It's not about that. That's all over. But the way they're hearing what he's saying, and I've got to be honest, if you've ever read, Stephen's sermon, you'd know that it sounds pretty rough even in the English. But you got to understand that he was so deeply concerned and so deeply driven to tell them about Jesus to bring them along. But they couldn't hear it that way. Stephen was hoping that maybe there'd be some open hearts to his message. But all they heard was destruction and and a challenge that was going to wipe them out, and a man that was speaking words that were going to wipe out everything that they held near and dear and sacred to them. So when they hear Stephen's sermon, and he recounts the history of Israel, they're mad. They are angry people. But look at Stephen for a minute here in this next verse. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I'm not going to say anything about this verse because Stephen's going to talk about it in the very next verse. He said, behold I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now I told you that what this Jewish council was so upset about was that Stephen was blaspheming. And right here is where you see it. And I want to give you an understanding of why. All he said was this, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You don't know what I'd bet, but these Jewish folks knew good and well that what Stephen had just said was quoting something Jesus said. And in saying it, Stephen was being blasphemous. In, in the book of Mark, chapter 14, in the 67th verse, Jesus is speaking. This is back in the Gospels. And listen, to what, listen to what Jesus says. It's very simple. I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, all that Stephen you remember what he said. and I'm going to pull it back up on the screen in a minute. Was that he had seen the glory of God. And he had seen Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He's going to say, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, just so you know, and again, I'm going to put it in the screen in a minute. In one verse he says, he saw Jesus. The glory of God and Jesus. But when he speaks it, when the crowd hears him, he says, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He's not only claiming that he saw something that was beautiful and awesome to him. He's also claiming that Jesus, who remember they had killed not long ago, for claiming to be the Son of God, he's he's saying, and I see in heaven... Standing at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus. He is who you've been looking for. He is who he said he was. And that made them so angry. You know, the the term son of man comes out of the book of Daniel. And right here in this passage, it's the last place in the Bible you'll, you'll hear it. It's the only last place that it's written. I think there's a reason for that. Hold on. So let's go back and look at these two verses together. They're now on the screen together. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Okay, you got it? He looks into heaven. He sees God's glory. And in that glory, in that vision that he has of heaven, he sees Jesus. But he enunciates it or vocalizes it this way. Behold, I see heaven opened And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, Stephen says, "You guys got it wrong. Because look where I see Jesus at." And now, this council that's that's got him on trial, they got a couple of choices. The the first one is they could say, "You know, Stephen, you're right. We missed that one, and we're going to repent." And we're going to accept Jesus for what he was. And we're going to ask God to forgive us for crucifying him. But you and I know that's never going to happen, right? So what's option two? This guy's a blasphemer. He says he sees the son of man. He says he can look into heaven. If if Stephen would have just said, I'm leaving that old faith, you know what they'd have done to him? have given him 39 lashes. But Stephen didn't say, I'm leaving the old faith. He said, not only am I leaving, but I have direct contact with God. The heavens are open, and I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and not only that, it's been revealed to me that Jesus is the Son of Man, the Messiah that all of us have been looking for. When When Stephen joined that glory of God, with Jesus himself and put it together as the son of man, there was nothing left for them to do but to put him to death. I want you to think about something for a minute. If you've ever been a student of scripture, you'll know that we always get this picture told to us in the Psalms mostly, but David's writings, the Old Testament writings of David, that the son of man will sit at the right hand Of God the Father, right? I mean, if you don't know that, that's how he's always envisioned. There's God the Father and Jesus sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And you get this image, at least I get the image of you know, one throne here and another one here at the right hand. But in this passage, Jesus is standing. He's not sitting at the right hand of God. You ever you probably never have, but I've I wondered about that. Why? Does the writer of Acts tell us that what Stephen saw was Jesus at the right hand of God the Father and identify him as the Son of Man who everywhere else is sitting at the right hand of God the Father? Why is he standing here? I'm going to stop and tell you a little bit of why. How many of you have ever been a witness in a court case? If you want to raise your hand, go ahead. Go ahead. I was a witness once. (laughs) They brought me in. They made me swear to tell the truth and all that stuff. But I sat in the witness stand, in the witness box. They didn't ask me to stand up. In Judaism, if you were a witness, you stood up. If you were a witness, you stood up. Stephen I want you to think about this. Jesus stands up. Part of me wants to tell you that as Stephen is about to close his eyes and breathe his last breath, Jesus stands up to go out and greet him. And I want to tell you, I think there's truth in that, even though I can't prove it to you scripturally. I want to believe that, that when Stephen's dying and he's getting ready to see his, his God for the next bre- in the next moment, that Jesus stands up and says, Stephen, welcome home there's truth to that. But more than that, what has Stephen been doing for the last 53 verses of Acts chapter 7? He's been a witness for Jesus. He's been telling them, Abraham, and Moses, and Elijah, and all those Old Testament saints, every Old Testament story you've ever heard, they were all pointing to Jesus, the one that you crucified. They all were leading up to this person that I now see with the heavens open. He's standing at the right hand of God the Father, and it's been revealed to me that this Jesus, the one who a little while back you killed, this Jesus is the Son of Man that you've been looking for. Jesus, Stephen rather, is witness for the Lord. He's been standing up before the Jewish council and he's been telling them as a witness, standing up for Jesus, this is who he was. And at the moment of his death, Jesus stands up before his father and begins to advocate for Stephen. Hey, an interesting thought about stoning. In regard to witnesses, in order for Stephen to be stoned, in order for him to be killed, somebody had to stand up and lie about him. Somebody had to be a witness and say, he's blasphemed. And on this day, it's everybody present. <laughs> they stand up and they want to Did you hear what he said? That's blasphemy. How dare he? So they cry out with a loud voice. They stop their ears and they rush together at him. Can you see that? Can you see in your mind everybody in the room jumping up and coming after him? And it says they took him and cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And look at what comes in that next sentence on the screen. And the witnesses. Remember I told you there had to be witnesses that stand up? The actual witnesses of the court who did stand up and say he's a blasphemer, they had to throw the first stone. Remember, remember, remember when, when Jesus is out there and that woman? Remember? And, and all the Jewish folks come and are telling him what a bad person she is. And Jesus bends down on the ground says to them, the one of you that has no sin, let them throw the first stone. Let you be the witness. You remember everybody walks away? That's what we're talking about here. So the witnesses in the court drag Stephen out to the edge of the city. They throw him down to his knees. They pick up the stones, and they start to throw them. They had two tasks. Drag him out to his knees. Stone him to his death. There's an interesting part of this verse. They cast him out of the city, they stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. These witnesses go out, they know they got to get their arms in a condition where they can really wing those stones at him. They take their outer coats off. They lay them down at this guy named Saul's feet. And they begin to stone Stephen to death. And in the 59th verse, as they're stoning him, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I haven't said it to you, but I want to say it to you. When it says he fell asleep, it does not mean he fell asleep, it means he died. But I want you to look in that verse at what he said. He cries out, and in the original language, that loud voice means with a louder voice. Then when he had said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, in a much louder voice, Stephen cries out and says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. I don't know if you caught it or not, but it sounds a whole lot like somebody else we know, doesn't it? Jesus, what did he say on the cross as they're crucifying him? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Luke tells us that he said this, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Doesn't that sound a whole lot like what Stephen said here? The writer did that on purpose. Finally, and Saul approved of his execution. I won't clue you in as I take a sip of the coffee I didn't want. i want to clue you in on Saul if you don't know. When you get to the New Testament, actually just after this story, a chapter and a half away, this guy named Saul <laughs> becomes a Christian. And we know him as Paul. And that's a whole story unto itself. And I'll tell you a little bit of it here in a minute, but for the time being, I just want to talk about three things with you. uh, This passage ends by these words, Saul approved of Stephen's execution. You know, we all have our opinions on the death penalty. I don't want to jump into that water today. All I'm going to say to you is, probably for everybody in this room, if it came down to brass tacks, and you had to approve the death of another human being, that would never be something that you would do quickly. That would never be something that you would do matter-of-factly. It wouldn't be something that you'd take that power to do for granted. But as they're stoning Stephen to death, and they lay their coats down at this gentleman named Saul's feet, us to know that this Saul was okay with that. You've got to see that. What did all of Israel gather from Stephen getting stoned to death? They got their guy. Do you know what the The motto of the Canadian Mounties is, I think, at least it used to be, we always get our man. We always get our man. You know what the death of Stephen did for Israel? They got their guy. You want to talk about Jesus? You want to talk about our nation like that? You want to talk about our faith like that? You're a blasphemer. Before you go too too far with this, I want to remind you of something. We we often call Stephen the first martyr of Christianity. I want to tell you a little bit about people that came before Stephen who died for just a minute. You've heard of John the Baptist talked about as the forerunner of Christ. And there's John the Baptist standing down there in River Jordan. And he's calling everybody to repentance. And he's pointing at Jesus and saying, there he is, there he is. He's doing exactly what Stephen has done except for he's doing it on the front end. And you know what they did? If you don't know your Bible, I'm going to tell you in a nutshell what they did with John the Baptist. They put him in jail for a while, but then they chopped his head off. And it's so interesting to that Jesus tells this story, and I'm going to read to you one of Jesus' parables for a minute. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go work in the vineyard today. And he said, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind, and he went. And he went to the other son, and he said the same. And he said, I'll go. But he didn't go. And Jesus asked those hearing this parable, which of these two did the will of their father? And they said, the first one. And Jesus said, you know, I think you're right. But Then he added this touch. Listen to this. John the Baptist came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. John the Baptist came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. And then he says, and moreover, even when you did see the truth, You afterwards did not change your minds and believe him. Let me be sure you understand. Jesus says, John came to you in righteousness. Jesus is telling this parable to the Jews, and he's saying to them, John came doing the law. John came pointing to the Messiah, doing what you say he's supposed to do. And you know what you did to him? You killed him. They got their man. Talk like that, John. You go ahead. We'll have, we can deal with that. We don't what to do with people like you. Well, then that same crowd one day went to a guy named Pilate and said, you know this Jesus? We can't put up with that. We can't do that any longer. You've, you're going to have to do something about this Jesus. Friday and Easter's all about. When they, when they chopped John's head off, they said, we have justice. The bad guy's been condemned. When they got Jesus, we have justice. The bad guy's been condemned. And now here's Stephen just preaching the story, but from another perspective. And they still couldn't hear it. They condemned him to death. They got their man. But what do you think the stoning of Stephen meant to those early Christians? To the church. I'm going to tell you, I think it meant freedom, and I'll tell you why. Let me find, here it is, Matthew, well, let's do Acts 1 first. Jesus When he left this earth, one of the last things he said to his disciples in Acts chapter 1. We're in Acts chapter 7 today. In Acts chapter 1, he said to them, you will be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and the uttermost ends of the earth. He said that to them when they were in Jerusalem. He said that to them when they were in the comfortable place where they wanted to be. And a whole lot of stuff happens between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 7. And you know where they're at? They're still in Jerusalem. Nobody's gone to Judea. Nobody's gone to Samaria. I've always said that Jerusalem is where they were most comfortable. Judea is where, a little further out, maybe like the neighborhood here for us. <laughs> Hello? Samaria was the place that nobody wanted to go. Jesus said to them, here's your marching orders. You're going to be a witness here. You're going to stand up for me here in Jerusalem. You're going to be a witness for me in Judea, the place that's just across the street, but you are also going to be a witness for me in Samaria, the place that no one would ever go. You're going to be my witness everywhere. And when they get to Acts chapter 7, you know where the church has gone? Nowhere. Here they are stoning one of their top dogs to death. Stephen is going to go down. And the interesting thing is what happens next. And I want you to get this. <laughs> I know that you're trying to put this message together today. I'm going to put a bow on it. So far last night hasn't gotten me that bad. You know what moved the church to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria persecution. And it starts in the very next chapter right after the stoning of Stephen. How many time, how many of you last night watched the Cleveland Guardians? Did anybody watch that game? Anybody? I saw Eric or Mark back there in the back. Anybody else watch it? <laughs> it's the <laughs> Hold on, I just lost my mind sixth inning. They're playing the Chicago White Sox. It's the sixth inning. Jose Ramirez hits a double and he's flying around the bases and he gets to second base and he's headed in there head first to try to beat the ball that's being thrown out there. The guy for the White Sox, his name's Anderson. He catches the ball and when he catches the ball, he brings the glove down and he knocks you know they got a bat. Ramirez has a batting helmet on. He knocks that helmet off his head, shoves that glove into his head, and Ramirez jumps up and is telling him about it. Now, keep in mind, everybody has their perspective about what happened, but I'm a Guardians fan. <laughs> Sticks his hand out, and Anderson throws his glove down, and I want to tell you punches flew. The 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 the, the, <laughs> the dugouts emptied coaches, pitchers, everybody. I told Jess, I said, the the fans are going to be on that field in a minute. I mean, it was a melee. But you know what happened after that? Man, did the Indians' bats get on fire. I mean, they stunk all night. And all it took was a couple fists to cuffs, and man, did their bats get on fire. They still lost. But anyway, Did the stoning of Stephen mean for the church? It meant they had to go. It was no longer a suggestion. It was no longer Jesus saying, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've ever taught you. It's no longer a suggestion from Jesus. It's a commandment now because they got to go. They're stoning people down here in Jerusalem. They they are stoning you for your faith. You know what the church did? It began to travel. But I want to focus in just a little bit further, church. And I want to ask this question. What do you think the persecution, what do you think the stoning of Stephen meant for Saul? standing there, Jewish leader, well-educated, well-trained. He's watching this all go down. They all laid their coats at his feet. And the scripture tells us he approved that. Remember I read that to you? He approved that. You got to be a cold-hearted person to watch another human being get stoned to death and not do anything about it. I can't tell you how many times, you know, my kids think that I'm strong. I can't tell you how many times something's happened to them. I mean, for crying out loud, something happened to Jake's dog this week, and I cried. Jake lives in Texas. I've only met the dog once. You've got to be a bad dude to watch somebody stoned to death and approve of it. What did Stephen's death do to Saul? And I've put the word salvation up there for a minute so you'll get it. Would you ever forget if you saw somebody stoned to death? I don't think you would. It would affect you deeply. In the book of Acts, later on down the line here, Saul has this Saul has become Paul in Acts chapter 9. He's become a Christian. But many chapters later, it's the 15th, Paul finds himself standing before that same council himself. Can you believe it? He's standing before the same bunch, faces probably changed, that Jesus stood in front of. He's standing in front of the same bunch that Stephen stood in front of. And both of them were put to death. And here's Paul, formerly Saul, standing as a Christian now before the same bunch. And he is going to recount to them. You can go read this. I'm not going to read it all to you. I'm just going to read a little bit of it because it's important this morning. He says this to them in the fourth to the sixth verses. Listen to what he says. Well, first of all, let's talk about who Saul was. I've kind of played that to you, but I just want to, I'll skip that. Here's what I want to read to you. In Acts, I told you 15, it's Acts 22, Paul says this, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. And I saw him saying to me, get out of Jerusalem quickly, they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue, after another synagogue, I imprisoned and beat those who believe in you. Stop and think about that for a minute. When 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 Saul, when you get to the ninth chapter where Saul meets Jesus, the guy who's standing there watching them stone Stephen to death, do you know how that chapter starts? That chapter starts like this. And Saul, yet threatening, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the church. Did you hear that? Breathing out threatening. He, he's still running down Christians. He's talking about that right here. Listen to what he says to that, to that council. Lord, they know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your servant Stephen was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Why do I read that to you today? Saul's life was changed by Jesus but he never forgot how it was changed by Stephen he never forgot that what he meant for evil somehow God was able to use for good those words Saul was approving of his execution. That thought had to ring in Paul's mind for the rest of his life. Every time he thought of Stephen, I approved of that. Every time he thought of of the blood on the ground and the rocks hitting him in the head, I approved that. What kind of an animal was I? And he's standing here before that council and he says to them, you know that I used to be just like you. I chased down Christians, and I destroyed them. Grant out loud, I was there and approving when they killed Stephen. I want to tell you something about the gospel of Jesus. And I'm getting close to the end. I know I've gone over, and I apologize. Please, please stay with me. One of the strangest truths about we who name the name of Jesus Christ, is this. Jesus will turn your world upside down. Amen? What once looks good suddenly becomes bad. What once looked wrong suddenly becomes right. Jesus himself said the first will be last. The last will be first. Those same witnesses that brought Stephen to his death somehow made Stephen a witness to the Lord of life. Can you imagine that? That in his dying, he became a witness for Jesus and the reason we can say that's true is because Saul Saul is yet breathing out threatening and slaughter against the church. And Jesus gets a hold of him and turns his life upside down. The day that Saul became a Christian, I got to get this last little point in and I'll get to my bottom line. The day that Saul becomes a Christian, he is on a horse riding away, and on a road called Damascus, he gets knocked down off that horse. A light shines from heaven, he falls to the ground, and when he stands up, he can't see. for a minute and remember Stephen, he looks up and he sees the glory of God. What's the glory of God look like? Probably like that light right there is blinding me. And Saul on the Damascus road, heading off to kill more Christians, gets knocked off his high horse and this light shines from heaven and when he looks at the light, then he looks around, he's blinded and the strangest of all things is this. He hears a voice from heaven, but everybody that's with him doesn't hear it. (laughs) I'm going to ruin a good sermon with this. When things pop in my mind, we're in trouble, right? They've taken Janice's mom's glasses away. I told her coming home last night, if I'm ever in her condition, you are not permitted to take my glasses. Because I can tell you I can't hear you. And you can speak up, but if I say I can't see you, you can't put yourself in focus. All my kids are going to know, if I don't die with glasses on my head, they're getting nothing. (laughs) The light from heaven, he's blinded. He hears a voice. Nobody around him hears the voice. (laughs) You know what the voice asked him? This is critical. The voice of Jesus asks Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? (laughs) I'll bet your first thing jumped in Saul's mind is, but that was Herbie I killed back there. That was Jimmy I killed back there. That was Sally we threw into jail. And that was Stephen we stoned to death. But Jesus didn't say, what about Herbie and Jimmy and Sally and Stephen? He said, Saul, you're not persecuting them, you're persecuting me. Why are you doing that? Saul never forgot what he had done to those that he chased down, particularly Stephen, never left him. And somehow or another, God was able to take that evil and use it for good. And that gets me to my bottom line. It's not the best bottom line I've ever made, but here it is. The life you live is the message you preach. God needed a witness At the stoning of Stephen. He needed someone to stand up for him and tell the message. Stephen was that witness. Stephen died in this side of heaven, he would have never known what his life, the way he experienced that suffering, that persecution, that stoning, it would never, he would never know how that affected. Those that saw it, in particular, a man named Saul. I've noticed something in American culture, and I know you will not argue with me on this. One of the hardest things we Americans ever have to say is this, I was wrong. Have you noticed that? We Americans don't like to say, I was wrong. I wrote in my notes here, I don't know why that is, but I do know why that is. It's because we are such prideful, arrogant human beings that we think everybody owes us. I don't have to tell you I'm wrong. I'll tell you I'm right, and I'll fight about it, and I'll prove it to you, and you'll never prove me any different. We don't say I'm wrong very often. When Saul became Paul on the Damascus Road, had to say I was wrong but I want to be right. I want to be right with Jesus. In church as strange as this may seem to you and to me the death of Stephen is what got him there. What are you going through? How are you handling it? How do others see you handling. I mean for crying out loud you came to church today at 10.15 you've stuck it out to 11.29 well I'm long winded you walk out of here and the troubles you have and the difficulties you face and the problems in your life others are going to wonder well how do those Christians do that? Church let me ask you how do you do that? What does that look like for you? Because somebody's watching Saul looked at Stephen he looked up into heaven and he said, Behold, I see the Son of Man, that Jesus. He's standing at the right hand of God the Father. He was sitting, that's what we were told, but now he's standing, and that's the Son of Man. And he cried and said, Lord, receive my spirit. And when he had said this, he said, Father, don't lay this sin to their charge. And he closed his eyes. And he fell asleep. He died. The life you live is the message you preach. Final word. As a missionary to the Alka India Name was Jim Elliott. Some of you know his wife Elizabeth Elliott. He was 20 years old and he wrote down a quote which I ought to have on a slide for you but I don't. But at 20 years of age he wrote this in his diary. He said, Lord, it seems to make sense that older people die and you take them to heaven. But who am I to say that you need to leave all the younger people here and let the older people go. I can't hold on to everybody I want to, and it's okay with me if you take some of the younger ones as well. He goes to language school, White Cliff Bible in Texas. He gets on a plane. He goes to Ecuador to the Aka Indians. 26 years of age. And him and father, other missionaries, get killed by the Indians that had never seen anybody from the outside world. Isn't that odd? At 26 years of age, I think actually the ages were 22 and 28. Check me on it if you want. But six years later, he gets killed. But here's the strangest thing of all. His wife with their two-year-old daughter packs up and goes to Ecuador to the Alca Indians and spends her life winning them to Jesus. Church, no matter what you're going through, the way you live it is the message you preach. Stephen, lay not this sin to their charge. He closed his eyes. He fell asleep. Amen. You know, we'll quickly sing this song, and then we'll pray a benediction.